Hi, I'm Ellen, a food addict, grateful for my recovery one day at a time. I've been abstinent for 32 years back to back. I'm maintaining 100 plus pound weight loss. And today is the most important day of my recovery. And I saw that there is a number of newcomers here. And I'm just telling you that even though it's beyond your comprehension or belief, possibly, you too can join the ranks of those who recover. You can be um, happy, joyous, and free and in a, a healthy body size. And all you have to do is keep coming back. Never stop coming to meetings. And I guarantee you, you will get it because we're going to give it to you. No. Um, I, um, I grew up in New Jersey in the United States. And uh, about 12 years ago, I, 12 or 13 years ago, I ended up um, joining a friend who had moved to Mexico. I left my marriage and um, came here and I'm still here. And no, I'm not fluent in Spanish, but I speak a little bit. But what my life was like before this program is almost incomprehensible to me when I think of it now. I was a food addict. I didn't know there was a name. I didn't know there was a disease. I didn't know any of these things. I just knew that I was big fat pig and that um, what the way I wanted to eat food was punishable and or shameful or despicable or weak-willed or whatever. And I remember my first memories, my very first memories were not like three or two or whatever are about food and wanting food um, and feeling ashamed that I wanted the food. I already had been obviously told that that was not acceptable, what I wanted with food. I remember <clears throat> when I was going to kindergarten, um, we had a... Um, uh, we would line up at the entrance to the, the school door and there was a giant fir tree, you know, one of those cone shaped trees and by the front door. And I found out that you could sort of like slip under the foliage and be inside. And it was sort of like a, a closed umbrella, like a beach umbrella. So I was in there and I could sort of see out, but I hopefully I was convinced at least that nobody could see in. And when you go to kindergarten, at least when I did, they would give you a little snack so that you would save your snack for later when it was snack time. And I remember having this little pathetic baggie in my hand with a couple of cookies. I don't know if you mentioned foods here, a couple of objects, sugar objects. And, um, you know, just staring at them, of course, wanting them. And it would be like seven or whatever time kids went to school, eight in the morning and just wanting it. And I would say, you, you cannot have it because later on when it's snack time, you're not gonna have a snack and you are gonna feel humiliated. You're going to try and wheedle snacks from other people. Um, and it's just gonna be a miserable experience as it has been. And I would say to myself, okay, I understand. I'm just gonna have one bite. And I would have one bite and then I remember looking at my hand at an empty baggie and this shame came over me, this just wall of, and that feeling in my stomach and the whatever that yet again, I had done it. And I was five or six years old. I mean, this is, I already was in the pattern, 
Um, I remember in, in the old days, at least they used to march all of us down the entire class down to the nurse's office and we would get weighed on this beam scale in front of the entire class. And I remember going down and of course I was the tallest girl. I was one, the only pe person, people that wore glasses at the time, I was one of the few. Anyway, so I remember approaching that scale as if I was like, you know, dead man walking. And I took my shoes off before I got in the scale to see if I could be lighter. Little did I know that I would be repeating that behavior over and over and over at the various diet clubs um, that I <laughs> tried to join um, in order to lose weight. And I was berated, humiliated. I, I mean, I also remember shopping in, um, uh, we had like a little five and dime store and it, it was a complete department store. There was like a rack of boys clothes, a rack of men's clothes, a rack of whatever, and racks of, you know, children and women's clothes. And over my section of this little rack of about four items, it said Chubette hanging from the ceiling. And so I got to go there. And I remember seeing a beautiful dress that I just loved. It was red and white stripes. I was with my grandmother. I was probably six or seven. And this was the dress I wanted. And she told me we couldn't get it because um, horizontal stripes weren't flattering for me. And I was six years old, six or seven. Anyway, those types of humiliations might sound familiar to you. I was afraid to ride in a boat because I knew that the heaviest person had to be at the back and I would always be the heaviest person among my children friends. I remember as I got older and my disease progressed that um, my fashion choice was if it fit and it came in more than one color, I bought them all. That was my, those were my fashion choices. I remember when I didn't have a laundry a washing machine or whatever in my home, go into the laundromat and taking my pants out of the dryer or the washer and the patches that I had used to patch between the thighs because my thighs always rubbed together and they wore out. I remember holding these pants in the laundromat and saying, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Because yet again, something failed me in my attempt to whatever, just exist in the world. That it wasn't common in the early days to have fat lady stores or whatever we wanna call them. I, I don't know if people are offended at that word, but that's how I use it on myself. And I can remember thinking what a horrible thing that these fat lady stores had their names on their shopping bags. Like who wanted to walk through the mall announcing where I was shopping and the quality of the clothes was so horrible and they were so expensive and I bought them anyway because that was all I had to choose from. I also remember being in a store and looking at whatever there was that was available in my size and picking it up and I was probably in my teens and I looked over and this woman who had to have been 150 years old was holding the same garment. So that was my, you know, my fashion option, the same thing as an 80 year old or, you know, she probably was 40, but whatever, to me, it was ancient. And that we were, we, we were picking the same item because that was the only item. 
Um, my disease progressed. I tried every kind of diet club, diet book, um, you know, protein only, carbs only, vegetables only, eat all you want, cabbage or whatever. Um, uh, I wished that I had had the money so I could have gone on one of the liquid shake diets, the official ones. I never had the money to go on the ones that you bought, bought their food. But my first official diet that I went on at age 12, because in my household, there was a very serious penalty for being overweight. And my father was vicious and physically vicious if you were overweight. And um, they, they didn't have much variety in diet things at that point. They had these little cans of some kind of a fake shake and it came in vanilla, which was horrible. And then finally it was available in chocolate and then strawberry. So I had my fabulous options. So I would freeze them, freeze these cans, and all I would eat was three of them a day. And that was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that was 900 calories a day. And shockingly, I could never stay on those diets. I just would, I would beg myself, just don't eat anything but these, just don't eat anything but these and you'll be okay. Right. And I didn't know then that we don't fail diets. Diets fail us because even if I can adhere to a plan of eating with very few calories, I can't do it forever. And as soon as I stop doing it, I can't stop. And there's a saying, you know, one bite is too much and a thousand is not enough. And that describes me and my illness. And um, so anyway, um, I remember being at some of the very popular weight loss clubs and, you know, people would, oh, you would clap for everyone when they announced how much weight they lost. And I would sit in the back of the room and they would say, oh, Ellen, you lost a quarter of a pound this week. Yay. And I would sit in the back row crying because I thought, how long is this going to take before I can eat again? You know, and then later as my disease progressed, I had this horrifying realization that, oh my God, there's no point doing this because as soon as I stop and I start eating the way that sustains me in terms of gives me a little pleasure, it's all over. I'm going to gain all the weight again. So I was in my twenties, my early twenties, I'm in my mid twenties. And I had moved to a city uh, in a different state than I grew up and I was all alone. And I was the manager of a big, big store. And we did a grand opening and all this kind of stuff. And I was so unbelievably miserable. And I just, I was huge. I gained, each time I lost weight, I gained more weight. So I was the heaviest I had been, not the heaviest I would get, but the heaviest I had been. And um, I couldn't go on. I mean, I tried to go on a diet. And I remember coming home from the first day, having made it all the way to dinner time and doing that dance with the refrigerator. I opened the door and shut the door and I opened the door and shut the door. And inside the refrigerator was only, was only my crappy diet food. But I was saying to myself, no, don't do it. Just close the door, don't do it, close the door. And I had 
some kind of a blackout because the next thing I remembered, I was sitting on the couch in my little studio apartment, my only piece of furniture, um, and I was eating this diet food and I was crying. I mean, and I planned my suicide and a few, few days later, I you know got everything in order at work. I trained my assistant manager and I took an overdose of pills of antidepressants that I had been prescribed a long time ago. And I was in a coma for over a week. And then when I woke, they thought I would be brain damaged. And then when I was awoke, I was in restraints and I didn't even know what restraints were. I mean, I didn't even comprehend what they were. And then I was laughing and then my memory started to return. And I remember thinking that the happiest I had ever been was when I was in those restraints and I had no memory. That was the happiest I'd ever been in my life because I, I, there was no Ellen. I was blank. So anyway, my life continued like that, struggling with depression and food addiction, depression and food. I was in hospital after psychiatric hospital, whatever. And knowing, I remember the day when my appetite returned. This was weeks after. And I, I also remember I lost 60 pounds in six weeks. I mean, my whole system had just collapsed from this overdose and all this kind of stuff. And I remember telling the doctors they were doing an EKG or, or no, an EEG. And I told them not to bother because as soon as I got out, I was just going to do the same thing again. And the doctor was so pissed at me because I was this young woman who was somehow not accepting his wonderful assistance because I tried to tell them, I tried to tell them about my weight issue. And all they told me was, here's a great diet. Why don't you exercise a little bit more? Why don't you blah, 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 a little bit more? And I felt like I was in a lifeboat attached to the shore in this very choppy ocean and they chopped the rope of the lifeboat. And I just went out to sea. And I, I had nothing else to say to them because when, when my appetite returned, I knew it was all over. There was no point. Somehow I went on that way for eight or 10 more years after getting out of the hospital and whatever. And somewhat rebuilding a life. And I remember um, a miracle happened, which I totally don't believe in miracles, didn't believe in miracles. And my sister, who was morbidly, morbidly obese, like several hundred pounds overweight, was sent to a food rehab, which they had in those days, and which were paid for by insurance. And she called me after being there for a month and told me that she just needed my support no matter what she did just for me to be supportive. And of course I said, of course. And she said, well, I don't eat sugar and flour and I weigh and measure my food. And on the phone, I thought, but didn't say, that is ridiculous. Nobody can go the rest of their life without eating a sandwich. That is just the stupidest thing I ever heard. However, I pledged to support her because she was dying before my eyes. I mean, her obesity led her plate. She had had gastric bypass twice twice. And she had 
you know, problems constantly because she had no stomach left. Anyway, when she came home from this rehab, she had probably lost 30 pounds, but the person that walked into the door was not the person that had left for that rehab. She was transformed, not because of that 30 pounds, but because of program. She had been connected to OA and I saw something in her that was completely alien to me. I didn't understand it. And it was hope. And she came home and she had all these things to do, meetings to go to and writing every day and making all these phone calls and talking to her sponsor and doing all this reading and going to meetings every day and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, I couldn't get over it, you know, because my former eating partner was now doing these other things. And I only remember that she kept talking about higher power, higher power, higher power. And I thought, you know what? I don't know what a higher power is. I know I do not have one and I'm going to die because I already was actively planning my, my next suicide. I had tried it multiple times in my life before as well. Anyway, um, I finally decided that I needed a higher power and that I would go to a meeting with her to find, because she, what she was describing didn't make any sense to me. And so I went to a meeting with her and everyone was so friendly to me. I couldn't believe, I thought it was because I was her sister that everyone was just being nice to me. But that soon vanished because I saw the earnestness and desire in these people to not just recover themselves, but to help me to recover. I was immediately accepted as part of them. I was told immediately what they were doing in terms of how they worked their plan of eating, which was just called abstinence at that time. It wasn't called plan of eating. But anyway, you know, sugar-free, flour-free, and volume-free, and blah, 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 blah. And they had a sponsor line. There must have been 15 people or 20 people in the sponsor line who would get up, you know, and just qualify briefly. And I was just completely knocked over that I was so accepted. And I remember it was the, this meeting was a huge meeting, an hour and a half meeting on a Friday night. It was held in a hospital. And I remember going down to the parking lot in the hospital and I got in my car and I prayed that I would have a car accident on my way home because I knew I could never go on a diet again. It was, uh, I was out of diets. It was just not gonna be possible. And somehow, I didn't know I had a higher power, but I didn't die. I decided not to turn the wheel into the overpass or whatever. And I did what they said. I went to another meeting. And at that meeting, I did what they said. And I asked someone to be my sponsor. This person was so dazzling and vivacious and happy and witty and whatever. And I went up to her and I was terrified because she said, yes, she would sponsor me. And I thought, oh my God, you know, this is like a superstar. She can't sponsor me. I'm just a me. Anyway, after a hour and a half meeting that night on the phone, she was on the phone with me for several hours, giving me, sharing her food plan. I went out and bought the food the next day. And that day I began my abstinence, which I still have today for 32 years. And the reason I have that abstinence today is because I can't live with one extra bite. I cannot, it, 
Yes, I've gained and lost, I don't know, over a hundred pounds, how many times in my life, I just don't know. But it has, it's actually not about the weight. It's about the living death, the no soul, the no hope, the no connection, the false front being, I'm a very social person and I laugh all the time. People just thought I was the funniest, happiest person. I was dead, I was dead inside. So what has happened to me because of program? Well, in, in over a year, my first year I lost, I came to my goal weight at the time. I ended up losing more weight after that, but at the time it was my goal weight. And I did every single thing that everybody told me. And I used every single tool every single day. And I still do that because my disease is not weaker. My disease is stronger today. I still have obsessive thoughts about food. I still want excess food, or I should say my disease wants excess food. I still think, gee, if I knew I was dying in six weeks, would I stay abstinent? I mean, who else but a food addict thinks that way? Who, you know, that's the first thing I'm worried about. You know, am I going to get my chocolate? Am I going to, whatever. And my higher power, and I have many higher powers in many kinds, to me, my higher power initially, and really still, is I get the obsessive thought because that disease is in me stronger than ever. And I have a pause between that thought and the compulsion to act on it. And that pause is where my higher power is because that I'm given that pause over and over and over again. Every single time my disease has told me that my life would be more joyful or this or that because of excess food, that I get that, that moment before I have to act on it. And I haven't had to act on it for 32 years. And I've had deaths in the family, weddings, everything, births, deaths, graduations, on and on and on. And nothing was made easier if I had picked up the food. Nothing, my, and I, a saying that, was, is common in the New Jersey area is that anything I put before my abstinence, I lose. Abstinence is my number one priority without exception. And that is how I walked through the grocery store in my early days, holding onto the handle of the cart, looking up, not looking side to side until I knew where I was, putting the right food. And I would say over and over, abstinence is my number one priority without exception. And any way anybody chooses to work their food as long as they're honest with themselves and their sponsor and their higher power is perfect. Nobody needs to abstain from sugar and flour because I abstain from sugar and flour and volume. What works for you is what your plan of eating needs to be. And if you don't need to eliminate certain foods, don't. I mean, I only do it. I abstain from sugar and flour because it makes my plan of eat my food easier because I don't get those horrible cravings. Anyway, the way I live my life now in program is service, 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 no matter what you are asked to do, unless you are physically incapable of doing it, the answer to giving service is always yes. And if you use every single tool, every single day, as often as you need it, you cannot fail to recover. You will, if you continue to make calls, as many calls as you need, um, you will, it's gonna, it's gonna work for you. So anyway, I just wanna thank everybody for letting me share. And the amount of weight that I have lost is important 
but it's also not important. It's done things to my body that I really don't like, especially now that I've, I'm aging. I don't say I've aged, I'm just aging. Um, I'm 67. Um, I'm angry at my body for having those remnants of uh, what I've done to it. But as one of my first friends in program told me, they're her battle scars. And it, it's a reminder to her um, of what, of what, what my life could be like without this program. Thanks for letting me share.